You may be seated. Our children may be dismissed with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church, and I'll invite you who remain, whether here in person or on the live stream, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 42 and 43. They are considered by most biblical scholars to be uh, designed to go together as a whole. So we will be reading them both this morning. And uh, lest you be confused, so many uh, songs that have been written uh, and inspired by this, uh, they come out with, with the flavor of some of the other psalms that say, better to be a servant in the household of God than the king and the, the depths of hell. Like, like God, I, everything, every part of me, it's for you. And, and, and it becomes a real anthem of our devotion to the Lord. But Psalm 42 and 43 is not that. It's a psalm of grief and sorrow when God seems far, far away. And we have much to learn from what the psalmist teaches us. This is God's word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? With a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Open God. For I shall again praise him, 
my salvation, and my God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, teach us this morning from your word that we might know how to worship even when our souls are grieving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you do with your grief? It's an important question to ask because you do something with it. It has to go somewhere. Where do you take it? What do you do with your grief? Some have a tendency to try to explain it away. Oh, this was just bum luck, or this was an exception. This, this almost never happens. The odds against this, this isn't that big a deal. And we seek to move on from it by minimizing it. Others work really hard to fix it. I can conquer this. I can get over this. I, I'm better than this. I'm stronger than this. I can make this right. And we seek to elevate ourselves above our grief. And sadly, many look at their grief and are so overwhelmed by it that they use that as all the reason they need to say, there is no God of goodness, mercy, and truth. And so they are left alone in their grief. What do you do with your grief? The Psalms, many of them, these two in particular, reveal something very surprising about grief. That grief does not have to be a a prison. It does not have to be the end or the last word. That grief does not have to destroy. But in the mercy of a God who brings life out of death, our grief can be used of him to be a doorway into worship. By the mercy of God and his transforming power, our grief And sorrow and sadness can become for us a doorway into worship. Wow. We're going to consider three things this morning. We're going to consider first the reality of grief. We're going to consider where we take our grief. And we're going to consider how grief comes to its end. The reality of grief, where we take our grief, and how grief ends. And so I'll invite you to turn our attentions to this question. Do we have an appreciation for the reality of grief? Our culture is built on avoiding it at all costs. Here is another technique. Here is another policy. Here is another elected official. Here is another pill. Here's another thing 
that can soothe your grief and free you to live your best life now. And I don't want to undermine the importance of voting or of seeking proper medical care and the the good use of striving for better. But embedded in this cultural motivation to, to avoid grief is this dream of a secular utopia that utterly and completely defies reality. Because the reality is our world is saturated with grief. There is injustice and oppression running rampant all over the globe. There is corruption and selfish entitlement. There is death and despair. There is sickness. There is illness. There is an abundance of grief. And we hide from it. We deny it. We run from it. We minimize it to our own danger. Imagine. Going to a doctor and receiving the the terrible diagnosis that you may have a life-threatening illness. And then, in an, an attempt to avoid grappling with that grief, you deny the very treatment he sends you on. You may live for a time free from that grief, free from that sorrow, free from that worry, but the day is coming when reality will come knocking and that grief will make itself known to you deeply. The psalmist is suffering great grief. It it seems to revolve around his being separated from the temple. He has no access to it. We're not sure why. Could be because he's Uh, fallen prey to some injustice by wicked men, and he is imprisoned or trapped and unable to go and worship the Lord in his temple. It might be because he has suffered some illness that has made him unfit or unable to pursue his normal service of God. It may be because he's been dragged with the rest of Israel into exile and the temple has been destroyed. And he remembers those days when he helped lead the processions to the temple, where he he invited others to join with him and to worship God, this great God, and now he is cut off from that. And it has caused his soul to be downcast. His only companions are his tears. And the memories of better times haunt him and almost mock him. And God himself seems far, far away. Have you ever felt that way? You felt grief. You felt the reality 
of the world in which we live. A world that theologians of old characterized as an estate of sin and misery. That there is sadness and there is grief woven into the very fabric of this world and you cannot avoid it. And yet, in his grief, even when God seems far off, the psalmist is doing something powerful and instructive for us because he notices how great the gap is between how things are and how things ought to be. It is overwhelming. It is insurmountable. That is where grief comes from. For us to see the injustice, for us to see the wrong, and to know this is not good. This is not right. This is not how it ought to be. But rather than being overcome by his grief, he enters in to lament. Lament peppers the pages of Scripture. It's all over the Psalms. There's a whole book that in our English Bibles is named Lamentations. And lament is worship. It is a form of a worship when you are oppressed with grief. And yet it doesn't let that grief rob you of the certainty that our God says nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth, not sickness, not pain, not demons, not angels, not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And if he seems far off, it's not because he is far off. And lament is the grace of being able to worship in the midst of that grief. We're uncomfortable with the idea of lament. Why is that, do you think? Why is it that you don't turn on the Christian radio station and the first song that you hear is a a song that is full of sadness and sorrow and grief and pain? It's, It's usually happy, 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 all the time, time, time song. Why is it that when sorrow besets people that we know and love, that we we don't know what to say or what to do? We don't know how to lament. Why is it that as a culture, we don't have processes and, and embodied ways to mourn? Like the men and women of old who would put on sackcloth and ashes because they were so overwhelmed with their grief. I think one of the reasons that we're uncomfortable with the idea of lament is that it's hard for us to be honest about our grief. We have a culture where that grief and sorrow, it can be seen as weakness. We want to be strong. We're happy. We're, we're, we're put together people. 
And if somebody asks us, how are you doing today? We have to say fine, because that's what the culture asks of us. But if we were to really say how we were doing, would the person even be able to handle it? We're afraid to be honest about our grief. Perhaps we we misunderstand what joy is. We read in this psalm that it is God himself who is the psalmist's exceeding joy, not his circumstances or his possessions. We read in Nehemiah, a prophet who endured no small amount of grief and suffering, that the joy of the Lord is a strength, even in the midst of that grief. Sometimes we mistake feelings of elation for biblical joy rooted in the Lord. But maybe one of the reasons we are so uncomfortable with the idea of lament is that we have all too easily bought into our culture's relentless pursuit of getting more and more comfortable in our worldly possessions and circumstances. And what Psalm 42 and 43 show us is that in God's mercy to us, he allows grief. Because in every sorrow, in every sadness, in every moment of suffering, there is, sometimes loudly, sometimes quietly, this ever-present call away from the things of this world to cling afresh and anew. Jesus. And this is important because if we don't recognize both the reality of grief, also where we need to go with our grief, we'll never be able to deal with it well. And so let's consider where we take our grief. This psalm calls us to take that grief to the Lord, but all too often we we do everything but. We avoid going to the Lord with our grief. And we find other ways to deal with it. We we complain about it. One of the reasons I left Facebook was because I got so tired of being in all these groups, my neighborhood group, a pastor's group, the Groups from college, and, and all people ever did was complain. I was just like, I don't need this negativity in my life. But sometimes we just, the way we deal with our grief is we just, just gripe about it. Sometimes we hide from it in pleasure or drink. We numb ourselves to it. We, we just avoid dealing with it at all and say, there, don't think of a pink elephant. There is no such thing, and I'm going to go drown my sorrows in something else. Sometimes we just put our nose to the grindstone. We work ever harder. That's our motivation. We're, gonna, we're better than this. This isn't going to get us down. And we just work and work and work and work. And that's why there is this culture of burnout these days. But in all of this, we are avoiding the one place we ought to take our grief. My cell coverage has a dead zone not even half a mile from my house. It's immensely frustrating. You know, like you're talking to somebody on your hands-free device in your car. Um, and all of a sudden they're like, are you there? Are you there? And you're like, and, yes. I'm, and just, have you, I, I start yelling. Like as if, if, I, if 
if I talk louder, it will somehow get into the radio waves better. I don't know. And then yeah, I pass that little section and it's fine. I've gotten frustrated. I've gotten angry. I've wanted to throw my phone. And then one day I got this bright idea. Maybe I should call my service provider and report the dead zone. And I did. And they said, oh, you need to this long buried, this deeply buried setting in your phone. Change that. You'll be fine. And I've been fine. Right, the one place I needed to go to get the problem fixed, I didn't want because I didn't want to deal with them. I thought if I just talked louder or got angrier or avoided calls in that little stretch of road, that then I wouldn't have to deal with the problem. How often do you avoid taking your grief to the Lord? You might not even know what your grief is. Notice how the psalmist again and again and again in this refrain says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's not even really sure at the beginning. Likely because he hasn't done anything to deserve this grief. And yet he's suffering it. And he's wondering, why? Where did this come from? And, and in the, the verses, he's working out what it is. He's finding ways to name his grief. My God seems far off. The joy that I used to know is gone. I am isolated and sad and alone. And worship seems dead to me. And, and, and it's like I have a dry tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth. And all I need is just a taste of, of cool water. And I would be refreshed. And I don't even get that. And I don't know why. Can you name your grief? Can you call out to your soul? Can you interrogate it? Can you find out why are you downcast? Are you afraid? Are you alone? Are you sick? Are you lost? Do you feel alienated from those around you? Do you feel powerless to take the next step? Can you name the grief? Because when you can name it, we can take it to the Lord. Did you notice how the psalmist, again, multiple times says, Why, God? Why would you leave me here? Why would you do this? Why would you let evil, oppressing enemies have the day? And I think that sometimes we are afraid to do that. Well, that's not respectful of the Lord. That's... that's not worshipful. That's we can't do that. We need to just keep it down. And you know, Lord, we're we're very sad now, and we're sorry. But but understand the grace of lament that our God frees us to lay it all out there before Him to just say whatever it is, to ask whatever question it is that we have. He is God. He can take it. He can handle your questions. He can handle your frustrations. He can handle your uncertainty. He can handle your sorrow. And there is no reason 
that he gives you that you need to hold any of it back, but to lay every prayer and every petition at his feet as raw and as deep and as full of sorrow and grief and pain as it may be, he frees you to give that to him and he can take it. It is a lack of faith in who our God is to hold that back and to try to handle it in our own strength. It is a lack of faith to accuse God of being something other than he is, of not being merciful, of not being loving, of not being kind, of not being there, of not being the rock of his salvation of not being God. But it is faith lived out amid grief to take everything to Him. He can handle it. Where are you tempted to take your grief other than to the Lord in lament? It has to go somewhere. When I get really, really stressed out, this muscle that connects the back of my neck to my shoulder blade gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. There was a time in college ministry I had to go to a physical therapist just to get the knot worked out. They gave me this special little hook I can massage it and these exercises I can do. But like, it's going to go somewhere. And we are not disembodied souls. We are embodied souls Sometimes you are suffering great grief and your body is the first thing to tell you something's wrong. It takes a toll. Maybe it goes into your relationships where you take that anxiety and that fear and that dread and you just lay it on all the people around you. hoping that you can just get it off of yourself. Not not in an attempt to to share, to invite them into your grief, to to allow them to, to bear your burdens with you, but to get it off of you, you put it on everybody else. Well, this this is my mom's fault. This is my spouse's fault. This is my boss's fault. This is when we take our grief and we put it somewhere else. Or maybe we just hold it in our soul and we get heavier, heavier, and more and more downcast until God seems so far off, it's like we're at the bottom of the ocean. In God's mercy, He allows grief to be a doorway to seek Him. Him and to find strength in Him and to find comfort in Him and to find mercy in Him in our time of need. Don't hold back. Because there is a promise that God gives us. Grief has an end. Sometimes when we are in the midst of it, 
we can lose perspective. We, we get trapped in the moment. This is why I don't ride on roller coasters. I hate them. And the few times I've let somebody talk me into riding the roller coaster, even the little kitty roller coasters, for 30 seconds or two minutes, or however, it feels like five hours, I just know I'm going to die or worse, be trapped on this ride forever. I hate them. And then it's over and life goes on and I've survived so far. I, but I, I can get caught in that moment and think this is all there is. Note the progression in this psalm. It starts in the depths with, with memories of good times almost mocking. See how it ends with this resolute plea. Lord, I need your light. I need your truth. Those are the things that need to lead me. Not what these other people are saying. Not, these, not what my tears are saying, where is your God? Not what my enemies are saying, where is your God? Not what my illness is saying. Not what exile is saying. Not whatever it is is saying. What I need is your light and your truth because I know you will not fail to bring me back to you. Whether in this life or the next. And then I will go to the altar of God I will go to God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you. There's this ending that is not the ending of grief. He doesn't get any answers as to why. But he has found in giving the Lord this grief that the Lord returns to him with his kindness and his mercy and his grace and his need because he's reminded of the character and promises of God. Who is he? Because if your hope is in you or the people around you or policies or laws or princes or technology, or techniques, if your hope is in anything other than the Lord, it is on shaky ground. But his promises never fail. And the psalmist can say, in verse 9, I say to God, my rock. Why have you let this happen? He knows who his God is, even as he lays every complaint and care concern at his feet. And our God will bring an end to grief. He knows your grief. We read one account of that as we read Jesus' account of praying in the garden of Gethsemane. But even then, it didn't hinder him from praying. It didn't hinder him from seeking the will of the Lord. It didn't hinder him from worship. Though he was so burdened with sorrow, he sweat drops of blood. And so we who are united to Christ by faith know that he did more than that. He bore our grief and our sorrow and our shame and our sin and our guilt in his body on the cross and rose again from the dead to make it clear that these things are not the end. He has conquered them all and he's invited us to be his people. 
This grief will end. The Lord is coming. There is a new heavens and a new earth that awaits his people. But in the meantime, when we see the gap between how things are and how things ought to be, he frees us to step into that space and to worship in lament, trusting that God is our rock. He is our salvation. And we can again praise him. Because of who he is, we can worship even when our souls are grieving. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, help us to see that you are who you say you are and that there is no thing that can befall us. There is no grief that we can suffer. There is no sorrow that can burden our souls that you are not able to take and to offer comfort in return, to offer a peace that passes all understanding, to offer your love and grace and kindness and the sure and certain promise that this is not the end. May that free us to lament. May that free us to give you our grief. May that free us to bear one another's burdens, knowing Our God has borne them all. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.